This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. I'm excited because you're here. I'm excited because I'm here. I'm excited because God's here, right? I'm excited we're all filled with fresh and anew with the Holy Spirit. You believe God's going to speak to you today? You believe that? Good to see you. So glad that you're here on this, this great weekend. Hope you have a fun and safe weekend with your family. If you've got your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Looking forward to next weekend. This is pretty cool and also a little concerning, but cool. Concerning in a sense that we're running out of room, but cool in a sense that we have almost 40 kids moving up into the big church room from, from Threshold. Isn't that exciting? So I encourage you, New Song students, a lot of these new guys coming in, make sure you welcome them in. Remember what it was like to be new, okay? So welcome them in, make them feel loved. And church, we're gonna do the same thing. We're gonna welcome them in. Excited, so many of these kids too, it's kind of cool. This is a generation that's grown up in our church. And so they're coming in ready to go. And so I'm excited to have them with us. Excited to have you with us today. If you're new to New Song Church, my name is Josh. Uh, Me and my wife, Sarah, we help lead this church. And we'll be out in the lobby after the service is over. We'd love to meet you if we've never met you before. So stop by and say hi. We're in a series called What Lies Beneath. And we've been talking about the stuff under the stuff, right? We've been talking about the, the bigger issues sometimes that are underneath the iceberg of our, of our life, that there's that 10% of the iceberg that's seen, but there's 90% under the surface. And so often in the church world, we never really get to the deeper stuff. We just kind of try to tackle that 10% stuff, but we're, we're diving deep. And, and so we're in week seven of this series. Can you believe it? Week seven of the series. Some of you are like, yeah, I can believe it because it's been a lot, Right. We, we've asked you to do some kind of difficult stuff in this series. Like this isn't one of those series where you, you walk out of church every week going, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like you're walking out sometimes going, man, I got a lot of work to do. I got some questions to ask. I got some stuff to fix, right? We've asked you questions like, are you living from the true self or the false self? How I many you had to wrestle with that a little bit? Probably still wrestling with that a little bit. We asked you to look back at your family of origin and ask some questions like, Was there stuff that was said? Was there stuff that was done in my upbringing that's still affecting me to this day? We've asked you to look back at maybe some of the painful moments of your life, revisit some grief, some of the dark night of the soul moments, and ask questions like, did I get stuck in a moment that I can't get out of? Or or did I not allow God to do the work he wanted to do in some of that pain to help me move ahead? I know it's been a lot, but I really do believe it's been good. Has it been good for you? And I know that's true because we've heard a lot of great reports from people in the church who've, who've sent us emails and messages talking about like the freedom of that, that they've experienced through the series. Like people had questions and they've gotten answers, like real answers. And that's, that's because that's what God does. When you invite him into the deeper issues of your life, he wants to help you to, to deal with those things so that you can move ahead into who it is he's called you to be. And so we're, we're coming to the last two weeks of this series And I'm excited because really a lot of what we've been doing for the past six weeks is preparing us for what we're going to talk about these next two weeks. So we had to deal with some of that stuff 
over the past six weeks so we can get to this point where we begin to move ahead into what it is God wants us to do from the place of freedom he wants us to move ahead into it from. And so today I want to talk to you about loving others well. Look at the person beside you and say, we're going to love others well. So in order to love others well, you've got to sometimes deal with some stuff. And so we've been doing that. And as we talk about loving others well today, we're going to deal specifically with how we love others well in conflict, in conflict. So it's going to be good. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. You are with us and that you want to lead us and guide us in all truth. I'm just reminded of your role in our life. You're a counselor. You're a comforter. You want to walk hand in hand with us. And so we know you're here today because we've invited you here. We've, we've welcomed you here, and so we know you're here, and you're ready to speak. And so, Holy Spirit, we say speak. We ask you to speak. I pray that the loudest voice in this room over the next few minutes would not be mine, but would be you speaking to the people that you love, your children, communicating to them your heart and who you want to be in their life. And so we say, Holy Spirit, move. We ask you to move. We ask you to speak. For those who are dealing with conflict, Lord, we pray that we would we would come to a place of reconciliation. You'd help us to navigate that, to be who it is you've called us to be in this day and age, to bring about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we know to bring about your kingdom means there's gonna be some conflict. So we, we pray that you would help us to do that and to love others well through that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 says this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, let me, let me uh, give you some, some context here, all right? So this question, one of the things they were trying to do is they were trying to kind of catch Jesus and, and kind of expose him for not being the rabbi that, that, that he was. And so they're asking him this question that was a very common question of, of the day. In, in first century uh, Jewish tradition at this time, they had the, the Old Testament leading up to the prophets. And in that, they had 613 laws. So a common question of the day was, how do we take these 613 and how do we kind of get them down to the most important ones? Like, is there a way to summarize all of this into a few? And so a question that would be asked of the great rabbis of the day was, how do we how do we simplify what seems to be fairly complicated? How do we narrow this down? How do we boil these laws down? And so they're coming to Jesus and they're testing him with this. And what they're trying to do in a way is they're trying to make him look stupid. So they ask him this question and Jesus does something interesting. He answers the question. And that's not a common thing for Jesus. In fact, in scripture, 187 times Jesus has asked a question and only three times does he give an answer. And this is one of the three. So this is an important question and this answer is an important answer. Verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Somebody say all. all. Say it like you mean it, all. all. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. And that phrase that it's like it actually means that it's of equal importance. So in other words, Jesus is saying that first one is important. Love God with everything. And this one is just as important. And actually these two are connected to each other. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let's be honest, show of hands, how many of you in here love you? Let's be honest. Some of you ain't raising your hands, you are lying. You love you. You care about you. You think about you every day. 
you love you some you. We all do. And so think about it. If you would love others like you love yourself, it's a pretty high level of love, isn't it? It's a pretty high level of care. So we're to love God with our all and we're to love others like we love ourselves. In other words, we're to love others well. We're to love others well. So Jesus kind of boils it down. He says this in verse 40, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, he's saying, here's the answer to this question of the day. It all comes down to this, how you love God and how you love others. So Jesus kind of brings it the, the, to this place of the goal of Christianity is that we love well. We love God well, and we love other people well. John 13 says this, verse 35, by this, this is Jesus talking, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By what? By how you dress? No. By how you vote? No. By how many WWJD bracelets you have on? No. By what? If you love one another. Jesus says, your love is a big deal. So if you're taking notes, write this down. How you love matters. How you love matters. Now, see if you can relate to this. This is how it kind of works with me. And I bet, it, I bet some of you can relate to this. I'm pretty good at loving people I agree with. I'm pretty good. Like when me and someone else, we see eye to eye, it's pretty easy for me to love them. When we agree on things, when we're... When I'm already like walking in a good relationship, like that, it's not that difficult for me to love somebody who's similar to me in their opinions and their thinking and their, their vision for life. And that, that's kind of easy. Where the rub is, is with the people who don't see eye to eye with me. That takes a little bit more work, doesn't it? Anybody relate to this? I can love a lot of you pretty easily. They agree with me. That's easy, but... The people who don't agree, yeah, sometimes that's, that's difficult. And so what happens? Well, what we do, and notice I say we because I'm just as guilty of this as anybody. What we do very often is when we come across somebody that we don't agree with, that we don't share the same opinion as, that we don't see eye to eye with. What happens very often is instead of inviting God into that situation to work through the conflict of that, that circumstance together, what we do very often today in this world is we cancel people. Like, so you know, cancel culture is not just something that exists out there in the world. In fact, one of the things I'm, I'm noticing, and you probably have too, is a lot of church people will cancel you. If you don't agree with me, if you don't vote like me, if you don't see the same, if, like if your opinion is not of the Bible, then, then we, just, we just cancel you. We cut you off. We shut you down. We unfollow you. We, we whatever. Why? Why do we do this? Here's why. It's easier. Like, let's be honest. It's a lot easier to just say, you know what? I just don't want to have to mess with you anymore than to actually navigate loving them well, like Jesus did, and stepping into that conflict with them and working through that conflict with them. That takes some work. That takes some effort. And sometimes we just don't want to put forth the effort. And so what we've done is we've created this fragility in our relationships that requires uniformity. Our relationships hang on this thread of, I believe what I believe. And if you don't believe exactly the same as me, then we cannot have any relationship whatsoever. And so I will just shut you down. I will cut you off. I will throw you away. Now understand this. When you do that, you hurt the message of Jesus Christ. 
Like that, that totally does damage to the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's not what the gospel of Jesus Christ was all about. Ellen G. White says this, the strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. One of the greatest resources that God has in this world to bring people to life and salvation is a Christian, a disciple who loves God and loves others well. Like God can work with someone like that to do something amazing, to bring other people to him. But on the flip side, when we don't do that, we actually become an argument against Jesus and against the gospel. Brennan Manning says this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Darren Roundson says this, the greatest apologetic against Christianity are Christians. And if we're not careful, we can actually become the reason why people don't turn to Jesus. Because they look at Christians and they look at the church and they say, if you're what Jesus is like, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Because I don't, who you are is and not good. Are you with me this morning, church? How you love matters. You know that, right? 1 John 4.20 says, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. hey How you love matters. So let me, let me kind of bring it back home for a moment here, okay? Listen, child of God, who once was not a child of God, because just so you know, we all at one point in our life were away from the Lord. And what did Jesus do? Jesus came and he entered into our mess and he shed his blood so that we could be born again, right? We could be brought to new life. At one point, the Bible says we were at enmity with God. That, you know what that means? You were an enemy of God. At one point, you didn't see eye to eye with God. Anybody relate to that? Yes. And what did God do? He didn't cancel you. He stepped into your life and he took steps towards you so that he could save you and free you. So if that's what Jesus was willing to do, then listen, Christians, we got to get away from this cancel, cancel culture stuff. We, we can't, if Jesus is willing to not, but to, to close the gap between us and him in conflict, then we have to do the same. John 13, 34 says this, a new commandment I give you, love one another. This is Jesus talking, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. We're called to love others like Jesus loved us. So how did Jesus love us? Well, it starts with this. Jesus was willing to enter into our life. Jesus was willing to enter into our life. He got into our world. In, in the book of Philippians, Paul talks about this, this very thing. Paul addressing the church, talking to a group of people who were a lot like us. They were normal people that have been saved by grace through faith, who have the, the Holy Spirit, but they still have issues. And they still have problems. And if you read through the New Testament, you're going to find there's a lot of conflict in the New Testament. There's a lot of addressing of problems and issues and situations within the New Testament because there's a lot of rub in the New Testament. And so, so Paul is addressing this inspired by the Holy Spirit in Philippians 2 verse 5. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now remember, Paul is writing on behalf of God here. So he's, he, as he's saying this, he's actually letting us into from God the mindset that Jesus had when he was here on this earth. So what is that mindset? Verse 6, who being in the 
very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Now pay attention to this part. This is a part we often overlook, but it's important. Being made in human likeness. Somebody say human likeness. Verse eight, being found in appearance as a man. Somebody say he was a man. In human likeness, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Uh, author Ronald Rollheiser in a book called The Holy Longing talks about this story of this little four-year-old girl who wakes up one night and she's afraid. And like four-year-olds can be sometimes, she has this unrealistic fear of a monster in her room. And so she goes down the hall to her mom and dad's room and she wakes up her mother and tells her mother, there's monsters in my room. And so her mother, being a good mom, wakes up, gets out of bed, walks down the hall with her daughter holding her hand, enters into her room, turns on the lights, and begins to explain to her that there are no monsters in your room. She turns on the lights, she opens up the closet door, she looks under the bed, shows her all these things, and says, listen, your room is perfectly safe. There's no monsters in your room, and, and me and dad are right down the hallway. We're here to watch over you and protect you. And, and, and also know this, God is here. God is with you. To which the little child replied, I know that God is here, but I need someone in this room who has some skin. You know, that's what we all need. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus put on skin. God put on skin. He became an incarnate. He embodied in the flesh. God embodied in flesh, in human form, stepped into this world. Why? So he could be approachable and touchable and known. He stepped into our mess. He put on skin. That's amazing. John 1.14 says, The Word, talking about Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The message translation, I love how it says that the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. To love us well and to deal with the conflict between us and God, Jesus entered into our world. And so to love others well, like Jesus, and to deal with the conflict, we have to be willing to enter into other people's world. Because what Jesus showed us is that love, like his, is incarnational. Peace Cazero says this, God knows we needed his skin not simply the knowledge that he is everywhere. People today are desperate for skin, to be loved, for someone to incarnate with them. For this reason, people will pay $100 to $150 an hour to a therapist as someone to love them, to enter in and care about their world. Today, check this out, God still has physical skin and can be seen, touched, heard, and tasted. How? Through his body, the church, in whom he dwells. We are called in the name of Jesus and by the indwelling Holy Spirit to be skin for the people all around us. We are called as the people of God to incarnate Jesus to the world, that the world would see us, and in seeing us through our lives, they would actually see what Jesus is actually like, to love others well, to love like Jesus loved. And that means we don't just love the people we agree with. We love the people like Jesus did who don't necessarily agree with him, who are not walking hand in hand with him in the moment. Romans 5, 6 and 8 says this, Christ didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for the sacrificial 
for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyways. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble can inspire us to selfless sacrifice. In other words, we can understand how it'd be easy to love somebody who's lovable, right? But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. I don't know about you, but man, I am grateful that when I was at my worst, when I was in rebellion to God, when I was living and not walking eye to eye with his opinion on everything, that God didn't look at me and say, canceled. That God didn't look at me in that moment when I was afar off, when I was blinded in the darkness of sin, and God didn't say, you know what? You're an enemy of my father, so you're my enemy too. I want nothing to do with you. But that God was willing to rescue me out of that. And before I ever took a step towards him, he took a bunch towards me. We are saved by grace through faith. So we have to, church, we got to get over this cancel stuff. We're, we're, if we're to love others well and love like Jesus loved us, we can't just cut people off. Now, now, now hear me. As I say that, two things. Number one, we don't put up with abuse. We don't put up with abuse. And it also doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything going on in the world. So let me, let me tackle the first one. If there's abuse going on, be it physical, be it verbal, be it sexual, let me just tell you, you don't have to put up with that. A lie that some Christians have believed is that, okay, I've got, this is my cross to die on. So I'll just let this person hurt me, hurt my children, be abusive, do, do damage to them. We allow that because we think that's, that's being like Jesus. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus willingly died on the cross to save us, but he didn't allow, like you can also see a lot of times when there was abuse brought to him, things that, that, were try, that they tried to do to him or people that were in abusive situations and he warred against that. So you're not being Christ-like by allowing this abuse to go on. In fact, listen, some of what needs to take place in this world is we need to stand up and some people need to go to jail. Some people need to be disconnected from their children for a season so they, they can understand the, the, the depth of how bad they're being and how wrong they're being so they can get help and get right. And you just continue to say, oh, it's okay. Just encourages them in the same behavior. So listen, you don't have to put up with abuse. Someone say amen. amen. And if you're, you're going, I don't know, maybe I'm in an abusive situation. Contact us. We're the church. We'll help you. We'll help you understand. We want to walk with you and help you with this. Don't put up with that. And also don't re realize that as I talk about this loving others well and dealing with conflict, it doesn't just mean that we just agree with everything. That's not what Jesus did. Did Jesus love everyone? Yes. Did he agree with everyone? No, not at all. The Prince of Peace, that, that's what he was called, right? The Prince of Peace shook things up. Why? Because he was about true peace, not false peace. See, there's a big difference between what Jesus talked about. Blessed are the peacemakers, being a peacemaker and being a peacekeeper. There's a big difference. Let me explain. 
Here's the definition of peacemaker. A peacemaker is someone who is willing to resolve, notice this, they're willing to resolve both outer and inner turmoil in order to establish peace with others and within themselves. So look at this definition. They're willing to resolve. What does that mean? That means in order to get to true peace, they're willing to disrupt false peace. They're willing to resolve. They're willing to say, hey, this isn't real peace. This isn't true peace. This isn't right what you're doing. This isn't okay. This conflict, this isn't okay. So we're going to disrupt this. And it may be kind of awkward. It may be kind of weird here. But we're, the goal is true peace here. That's peacemaking. Peacekeeping is this. A peacekeeper desires to maintain peace by avoiding conflict. Well, we'll just pretend it's not there. We'll just kind of brush it under the rug. And that's not creating real peace. They typically give in to the tension and steer clear of disagreements to keep others happy. They, they sacrifice their own peace in order to try to keep a false peace available. This is not what Jesus did. Jesus says this in Matthew 10, 34, do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. What, what, what's this mean? It means this that the true peace of, of Jesus is in conflict with lies and the pretense of the kingdom of this world. So understand this, there's two kingdoms, right? There's the kingdom of God, which we are called to be people who bring about God's kingdom on earth as is in heaven. And there's the kingdom of this earth. The kingdom of this earth is the false kingdom. It's a kingdom built on lies. It's a kingdom that thinks peace is one thing when it's not peace at all. So in order to bring about a new kingdom, there's gonna be some conflict. There's gonna be a rub because we're gonna to have to expose the false kingdom to bring about the right kingdom. You see this? So understand, in bringing about the peace of God and loving others well, there will be some conflict. Again, look at the New Testament church. There's all sorts of conflict, but it's because it wasn't about peacekeeping. Jesus isn't about peacekeeping. He's about peacemaking, true peacemaking. So here's the question, how do we love others well and navigate this tension between loving others well and peacemaking in the right way. Right, I want to help you with this today. Okay, so we're going to get super practical over the next few minutes. I got seven things for you because this is a church message and you got to have seven points, right? <laughs> so, so seven points. We'll move through some of these quickly. Here's the first one. If you want to be someone that loves others well, that deals with conflict, maybe you're here today and you got some conflict in your life. You're thinking about somebody your mother-in-law, that person at school, that person at work, your spouse, don't look at them, it's your spouse, someone in your family, I don't know, there's conflict. How do you love others well? How do you love them well, love them like Jesus, and yet still deal with the conflict? Here's the first thing, be the initiator. Be the initiator. In other words, don't wait for them, you take the first step. Romans 12 says this, as much as possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace, with, someone say that last word with me, everyone. everyone, everyone, live at peace with everyone, as much as possible, as far as it depends on you, that means you take the first step, now understand, as much as possible means it's not always going to be possible, for some people, it's not going to be possible, like I don't want you, if you're here today, and, and you've had a relationship that melted away, you had a divorce that took place, or something like that, and you're going, oh, I messed up, well, it may not have been possible for you to walk in peace with that person, because listen, there's another person in the relationship, right? And sometimes we may have the right heart. And that's why it says, as, as far as it depends on you, you're to walk in peace. They may not allow it, but as far as it depends on you, you're gonna fight for it and try for it. 
And if they won't do it, that's okay. You step away and you release it into God's hands. You cast that care on him. But as much as possible, as far as it depends on you, you're going to fight for it. You're going to pursue it. Now, I get that like conflict is not necessarily the funnest thing in the world to deal with, right? Like if you like conflict, like nobody likes conflict. You like conflict, that's, that's odd, we don't like conflict. Now, you may say, I kind of do. Like, I had a guy last night, he was like, I actually do like conflict. And I said, no, you like justice. A lot of people, they like justice. We love justice. We want to fight for justice. And so you find yourself in conflict because sometimes to get to justice, it takes conflict. But you don't just like conflict. Nobody does. And so what do we see? We see in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, we see this conflict arise. Adam and Eve sinned, right? And when they did, there was conflict between them and God. And so now there's this tension. And so what do they do? They begin to hide. What does God do? He comes to them because that's what love does in conflict. It goes to the person. And when he comes to them, Adam has some excuses. And these excuses are kind of some of the same excuses that we can find ourselves falling into when it comes to conflict. Genesis 3 verse 10, Adam says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. Verse 12, he says, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. We see Adam running two plays that very often we run when it comes to conflict. Number one, we get distant because we feel exposed because conflict, you're, you're kind of going, I don't know. I don't like the way this feels. I'm not sure where this is going to go. I don't really, I'd rather just kind of hide between and get like, I'm going to cover myself. I'm going to cover myself. I'm going to, I'm going to hide. I'm going to get distant because I don't like the feel, I don't like this feeling of feeling exposed. I don't like this feeling of not knowing how this is going to end if I enter into this conflict. We get distant or we get defensive. Well, it's not my fault. It's the woman you gave me. And really, God, think about it. You gave me this woman. It's kind of on you. Isn't this what we do? God, I mean, it's really their fault. They, they, didn't, they didn't love me well. They didn't, you know, it's how I was raised. It's the day and age we're living in. It's, it's whatever it is. We get distant and we get defensive. Like this is fall of man, sin, nature, conflict, resolution 101. But the heart of God is, what does he do? He goes to them. He goes to them. Why? Because he wants to restore the relationship. In fact, that's what God showed me years ago about conflict. Conflict is not about winning. It's not about your argument being better than theirs. It's not about you getting your point across. If that's your goal, you're, you're, you're off. The, the goal of conflict, we confront others for the sake, not of confrontation, we confront others for the sake of restoration. That's why God came to them. He wanted to start the process of restoration. That's why Jesus came into this world, because he wanted to restore us. He wanted to get in between what was putting a distance between us and God. So he stepped into our situation. So to love God well and to love others like ourselves, we have to be willing to initiate in conflict. You say, but Pastor Josh, that's hard. I know it is kind of hard. And it, it can make you feel a little like vulnerable and it can make you feel a little like, eh, I get it. But that's why you don't have to do it on your own. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. We sang about him, the dove, right? He wants to help you with this. First Timothy one says this verse seven, it says, God has not given you a spirit of fear. I want you to notice that fear is not just an emotion. 
There's actually a spirit of fear. And it's a spirit that the enemy will bring into your life to do what he likes to do. What, is, what does the devil do? He wants to divide and conquer. He wants to divide you against God and he wants to divide you against God's people and other people. And so a spirit of fear is designed to make you go, ah, oh, I don't want to mess with that conflict stuff. I don't want to try to resolve this. I know there's a, there's a tension here. There's conflict here. I know that this has been going on a long time and it really should be addressed, but let's just pretend it doesn't exist. I know that that's there. And so we, 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 we stay distant. But there's another spirit God wants you to engage with. It's the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. And that middle part is so important. Spirit of love. Why is that important? Because perfect love casts out fear. You ever heard one of these stories before about like a mom or a dad and, and a house is on fire and that parent rushes into that home to save a child in that home? What happens in that moment? You know, normally we don't run into burning homes because there's fear, fear that I'm gonna get hurt. I could die, I could get burned. But in that moment, their love trumps their fear. Their love for their child is greater than the fear of what could happen to them. So they're filled and inspired by that love and it enables them to do something amazing. If your love is greater than your fear, you'll do things others are afraid to do. Some of you need to write that down. And so what happens is when we invite the Holy Spirit in, what are we inviting into our life? The Spirit of God. Who, who is who? God is love, right? So you're inviting the Spirit of God in your life. You're inviting the Spirit of love in your life. And He can fill you with the love you need that makes it possible for you to step into conflict, to do what others may be afraid of, but you're willing to do it because you're inspired by the love of God. So what do you do? You go to the Lord and you say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Like we did earlier. Like, that's not something you just do every once in a while at church. That's something you can do every day. Lord, I need you today. I've got conflict and I, need to, I want to address this conflict. And so I'm asking you to fill me with, with love so that I can address this conflict the right way. Am I helping you this morning? Yes. So be the initiator. Here's number two. Own your role in the conflict. Own your role in the conflict. You say, oh, Pastor Josh, I am not to blame. I have done nothing wrong. Well, I doubt it. And let's just say, let's just say, let's just say that it's 99.9% their fault and 0.1% your fault. Here's what you do. Own your 0.1%. That's called humility. And, and when, you, when you step into that humble place, it, it allows God to lift you up. And most likely, you're more than 0.1% to blame. <laughs> In fact, here's, here's a question. Have, I ask people, have you, have you asked the Holy Spirit what your part is in this? No, I don't need to. That's a problem. <laughs> if you find yourself in any area going, I don't really need to bring that to the Holy Spirit, it's probably because you know what the Holy Spirit's going to say. <laughs> but I, I think it's important that we are willing to ask ourselves some questions, right, in this stuff. So here, here's some questions for you. Am I being unrealistic? Is my... Uh, Am I being ungrateful in this relationship, young people? Good question. All the parents said amen, right? Yeah. Am I being insensitive? Am I being oversensitive? Isn't that such a thing today? Oversensitive. Everybody's offended. Everybody gets so easily offended. Am I being too demanding? Is my expectation different than theirs? Here, here's the point is that you, you ask yourself, 
maybe they're not just an evil person. Maybe, there's, maybe I have a part in this. A few months ago, we were on, uh, we were, we were on a family vacation. And let me help you out if you're young, people, if you're young married couples, you got young kids. You, you have to have a different mindset for a family vacation than a regular vacation. We call family vacations family trips. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I enjoy being with my family and being with my children, but it's not like I come back going, man, I am so restored. Spirit, soul, and body restored. So, so anyways, we're on this vacation. And so this means I'm working. Family vacation, I'm busy. I got a lot to do to make this all happen and to cover everybody, to make sure things aren't getting lost. And, and yeah, you know how it goes. So we, the, the way this worked is we had kind of the first half of it and the second half. And the first half, we go and we do this awesome stuff, this fun stuff. And then there's a second half where we have a travel day in the next part. And so we've just had an amazing time, spent a lot of money, really had a good time. And now we're moving to the second phase, which means there's a travel day, okay? So travel day is dad's driving all day, kids are on devices, hanging out in the back. And, and then we're, we're coming to this incredible, like, cabin, like this place we're going to be at for the next several days. And it's got a full kitchen, like all the kids pretty much have their own rooms. It's an amazing place. Everybody's excited about it. We get in, we unpack really quickly. And then we tell the kids, Hey, we need to run to the grocery store to pick up a few things. And you would have thought that we just were the worst people on the planet. <laughs> like their response was like, their response is the kind of response that happens with your kids where you, then you're looking at your wife going, where have we failed these children? <laughs> Are we even like Christian parents? Like, why, why are they so, this is the fall of man. <laughs> so we, we sat them down and we explained things <laughs> like you do. And it's like, I can't believe you guys, we've been here and we've done all this and we've spent all this money and now you're going to, you know, you know what you do. And we brought them back in, there was, we, we came back to a place of fellowship <laughs> and we went to the grocery store and we got all this stuff done. So then we, we get back that night and me and Sarah are kind of in bed and it's like one of those moments where you're just like, can you believe the kid like that? What, like, what was that? I think it's your side of the family that makes this happen. <laughs> but we talked for a little bit and then we were like, you know what? In a way, I think this is kind of our fault. Like we didn't set them up real well. Like we didn't, like, I, I, I believe this about my kids. Had I in the car just had a moment where I said, Hey, we're going to get here and you guys are going to be really excited. And I know there's a lot of fun stuff to do that you're excited about doing, but we got to get a few things done. And one of the things we want to do is go to the grocery store, pick up some food, get some really great snacks. You guys can pick out candy and snacks and stuff. Cause we're going to have movie nights and we're going to have game nights. And we want you to, so we just got to get this stuff done. And then we can start really enjoying everything. I have a feeling had I done that, things would have gone a lot better. So here's my point. They're, my kids aren't just demonic. <laughs> we didn't set a really good expectation. And because we didn't set an expectation, they fell short of what we expected. So we owned our part in the conflict. They're not just bad kids. It's just, we probably play, played a part in that. That's the point. Were we completely at fault? No. Were they completely at fault? Probably. But, but here's the thing. We owned our part in it, Right. First Peter five says this, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season. 
Maybe I played a part in this conflict. Here's the next thing is we listen. We listen. Luke 8, 18 says, pay attention to how you hear. To how you hear. One of the things that happens when you listen is listening allows you to enter into the world of someone else. Uh, in, in fact, I love this quote from David, David W. Augsburger. He says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Think about the world we live in today. So many people want to talk. So many people want to communicate. So many people want to post. Very few people want to listen. So when you become a person who listens, you stand out in a world where no one wants to listen. In fact, I, if you've got your new song app in your notes, I put down some stuff from, uh, from Peace Gazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's some stuff you can do, put into practice when you're the speaker, when you're the listener. I encourage you to look through that this week, maybe talk about that, some of that stuff with your small group. But, but here's the point. Be a great listener because especially, I think, when it relates to Christians, the outside world looks at most people in the church and says they're not good listeners. Actually, Pete Scazzaro says this. He says, when was the last time someone said to you, let me tell you about those Christians. They are fantastic listeners. I have never seen a group of people more sincerely interested to know my world, who are curious, who ask questions, who actually listen to me. Like, sadly, that's not the truth about Christians most of the time. Most of the time, people outside of the church would say, Christians don't listen. They just want to talk. They just want to talk. But love, love listens. James 1, 19 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Let me remind you, you probably heard it before, but God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. You should listen twice as much as you talk. So be a listener. Here's number four, consider their viewpoint. Oh, this is so big. Philippians 2, again, says, each of you should look not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In other words, you're, you're going to try to seek to understand them and where, why they may be coming from whatever it is they're coming from, from where they're coming from. And, and this is going to take some investigation. This is going to take a little bit of work. Sometimes when I'm, I'm in a counseling session with someone or talking with someone, we'll be talking about some stuff. And then eventually there's this moment where it's like, ah, bingo. So that's what happened to your dad at, the, at that church years ago. Oh, so that's what happened to you growing up with your, with your parents. There's like a moment where something happens and it affects who they are. And so seeking to understand it allows me to step into maybe their shoes to have an understanding. Like, again, people aren't just evil. Like, there, yes, there are some evil people in the world, dark, evil people who've turned themselves over to sin and some ugliness. And, but most of the people we encounter aren't just evil. They just, they're broken. And, and again, sin blinds you. They're blind. They don't see the truth because they're blind. Hosea 4 verse 6 says, people are destroyed because they have a lack of knowledge. Relationships are destroyed because we're not willing to try to gain a little bit of knowledge about where they may be coming from. Stephen Covey says, we should seek to understand more than we seek to be understood. Proverbs 28, 16 says, a ruler who lacks understanding is a great oppressor. So again, here, here's some questions for you. Why might they be thinking that way? Like they're not, just, maybe they're not just evil. Why, why? Why might they be voting the way that they're voting? You ever thought about that? 
Why might their opinion on fill in the blank be different than mine? Why might they be against the church, against pastors, against Christians? What, what could be there? And this is, again, us inviting the Holy Spirit into this to speak to us, to show us things so that we can see. Philippians 2 says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That word look there he uses is, is the Greek word scopos. It means to look like under a microscope or a telescope. It means you're going to get deep in there and try to really see something. And you're going to invite the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and revelation beyond what you just see in your own mind, what you see on the surface, what's under the surface, right? That's what this whole series is about. What lies beneath? Here's number five. Tell the truth tactfully. Tell the truth tactfully. Now listen, I'm not saying we don't tell the truth, but there's a way to tell the truth. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. You know, my house today, uh, I have electricity and that electricity is awesome. It's great. Lights, flip them on. Come on, great. Microwave, burrito, awesome. A few seconds, warm, good. You guys relate, right? Go to bed at night, turn my fan on, runs all night. Electricity, love it. So that electricity does a lot of good in my home, but if it's not insulated properly, it can kill me. And I think sometimes church Christians, what we do is we have the truth of the word of God and it's powerful. And if we don't sometimes insulate it with love like we're supposed to, like Jesus was willing to do, then we can actually hurt people with the truth, do damage with the very word that's supposed to bring about life. Colossians 13 verse one says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, like we're supposed to love them. I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. In other words, our voice becomes grating. It becomes something that's irritating. It becomes something that, like if you just heard somebody banging on these cymbals, you're gonna go, oh, I don't wanna hear that anymore. And that's what some of the world is doing because we're, that's what we're doing with the word. Just instead of, hey, let me, let me bring you in. Let me love you. Let me show you the truth here, the, the, the love of Jesus and who he is and what he wants to do in your life. So we speak the truth tactfully. Again, how do you do it? Holy Spirit. Your helper. First Corinthians 2.13. We do not use words that come from human wisdom. We do not use words that come from Fox News. We do not use words that come from... Some of you give me a dirty look right now. Sorry, I'm just going to go by the word of God here. Is that okay with you? Kind of believe in it, so... <laughs> I'm going to get some letters probably. My email is david.terry at newsongpeople.com. <laughs> Instead, <laughs> we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. So we tell the truth tactfully. Is it insulated with the love of Jesus? And here's number six. Watch your words. Be careful what you say. Be careful how you say it. The Bible says this in Colossians 3 8, you must rid yourself of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. In other words, this stuff is off limits. There's some stuff that we do in conflict that God is saying, hey, if you do this, it's off limits. Okay, so for example, anger and rage. Like if you use anger and rage to get your way, to intimidate, to push people around, 
Just so you know, God says that's off limits. You're wrong. You shouldn't do that. It says malice. That word malice has malicious words. That means it's these kind of words. It's words that we know. And this is words we'll use in relationship with people we know well. It's those words that we'll use that we know will cut them deep. So we know what to say that will really cut deep. Like it's the people we know. And we know if we, if we go there, it's gonna, it can end this argument because it's going to shut them down. It's going to take them to a place. And I shouldn't do that. God says that's off limits. Slander. What's slander? Slander is insults, slurs, calling people dirty names, nasty names, labeling, belittling. God says that's off limits. We're not called to be those kind of people. Little people belittle people. We're not called to be that way. If you're belittling people, you're just showing that you've got a little heart. Your heart needs work. We're called to be people who, who put courage in, encourage. We're called to be people who, who make people great. Great people make people great. So we're going to use our words to edify and to build up and to try to encourage people and bring people to the hope that's found in Jesus. And then here's number seven. When it all, it all comes down to this, in conflict, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus because he was the ultimate reconciler. That's what he did. Colossians 1 says this, through him, Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's body on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. We were once far away from God. We were an enemy of God separated from him by the evil thoughts and actions. How many of you relate to this? More than you're admitting to. Look at this, verse 22. Yet now we have been reconciled. Uh, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. In other words, you didn't get yourself right. Like you didn't get smart enough that you just figured it out. You didn't, you didn't do anything that got you to this place. You received of what Jesus did. Jesus did the work. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. Now you can be connected to God and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Jesus did that. Jesus made that possible. Jesus did what I'm talking to you about today. He saw the conflict. There was conflict between you and God. And so what did he do? He stepped into that conflict so he could deal with the distance between us and God and bring us close to God. He, he was willing to speak the truth in love. He confronted the conflict. He listened so that he could minister to people. He, he got into our, our life like we are. He, he, he stepped into and, and wanted to understand our viewpoint. So he, he stepped into our viewpoint. Like he did, he did this amazing work to make peace possible. Not to keep peace, not to put a false peace out there, but to actually make peace. And so if the Christian life is, is about loving others well, we know that that's possible because Jesus has loved us so well. That's why we can love others well, because he's loved us so well. Jesus put on some skin and got into our world. Why? Because he wants to be in our life and he wants to be seen through our life. He wants to, through our life, put skin on for the world to see so that through the church they can see that's what Jesus is all about. So here's my question for you as we close. Is there conflict in your life? Like, is there conflict between you and someone today? Is there a relationship where you know it's distant and it's not like it should be and something needs to be said that's not being said 
and I'm afraid to do it. Is there conflict between you and God? Are you like Adam and Eve? Are you covering yourself up and hiding from God right now? God comes to you today. He comes to you today because he wants to reconcile. He wants to restore. He, he loves you. He sent Jesus so he could restore you back to factory settings to be who you were created to be, to, to bring new life to you. Wherever you find yourself today, I want you to know, Jesus is the great reconciler. And if we're called to love others well and to put on this skin and to show the world, we got to deal with the conflict. We can't cancel. We can't just close people out. Where, where in your life does this message hit home for you today? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, I thank you for your church. I thank you for what you're doing in this house. I thank you, Lord, for showing up today, being faithful to your word. Thank you, Lord, that I've, as I've spoken, you've spoken, and you're continuing to speak even now. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room who is in conflict, Lord, you would help them to take the steps necessary to step into the peace that you offer through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. We're grateful. Lord, if, if, if we have bought into the cancer, cancel culture of this world, if we've been living from that, if we've made, well, we just repent. We say we're sorry. Sorry we haven't represented you well. Forgive us for that. I'm, I'm guilty as anybody. Lord, forgive me. Forgive us, Lord. And help us, Holy Spirit, as we move ahead. Give us wisdom so we don't say the wrong things and do stuff that doesn't represent who you were, Jesus, the right way. Help us with that, Lord. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here that needs to take a step of faith today to resolve some of this conflict in their life, Lord, that you would help them to step up in faith and step out in faith, to listen to your voice and not just hear your word, but act on it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm gonna invite our altar ministry team, our prayer team down at this time. I wanna encourage you, don't, don't, don't check out because I believe this is one of the most important parts of our service every week. This is a moment where you can act on the word of God and you can act on what you've heard. And so maybe you're here today and there is conflict in your life. Maybe, let's start here. There's conflict between you and God and you know you're not right with God. You've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, never really surrendered your life over to him. Or maybe you have, but you know that you've drifted and there's, there's sin and there's stuff in you that you know is wrong and you wanna get right today. If that's you today, here in a moment, I'm gonna invite you to come down and we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you to step back into relationship, to confess maybe some of the sin going on in your life, confess before a brother or sister in the family of God so that you can be healed from that. Maybe you're here today and you've got conflict in your life. There's a relationship where there's something that's not right. And you, man, as I've been preaching, you've been thinking about that person, you've been thinking about that thing, and you know something's gotta happen. And maybe you're a little nervous, a little concerned, you're, you're afraid. Well, I, I believe this, the Holy Spirit wants to fill you with the love and, and the power and the sound mind to know what to do. And maybe for you, it's stepping out in, in faith and humbling yourself, like we talked about, being willing to say, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take some steps, but my first step is I'm gonna come down here, I'm gonna let one of these guys know, hey, I got some beef with my grandma. I got some beef with my, my brother. I got something going on. There's a conflict between me and someone and I gotta get this right and I, I, I just need prayer. If that's you today, I wanna encourage you, don't leave today with that burden. Don't carry that out of here. Leave that at the altar. Like, let that be done. Let that be over. God wants to give you peace. You don't have to keep just kind of keeping peace. If you walk out the door with it, you're, 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 you're saying, some of you, you know this, you're saying, I'll just keep 
keeping the peace. It's not worth messing with. Maybe it is. Maybe it's the step you take today that will bring that person to salvation. I'm telling you, it's amazing how often we're afraid of conflict because we're afraid it's gonna drive us further apart, but it's about restoration. It actually brings us closer together because through these conversations and through this kind of love, God can restore some stuff. So I encourage you, don't leave today with a burden. Don't leave today with that conflict. Let's surrender it. Let's start here. Let's surrender it here today. Would you stand with me? We're gonna go back into a time of worship. If that's you, if you're going, man, I got some conflict, I need to deal with it. I want you to go ahead and start making your way down to the altars. I'm expecting the altars to fill up today. We all need prayer. We all need help. Maybe you need Jesus. You need to deal with the conflict between you and God. You're separated from God and you need help. If that's you today, don't leave today with that burden. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you draw all those who need prayer to the altars to receive what you have for them today. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.